Hey, what's good, Calvary family? Ben Daly here. I want to thank you for being a part of Calvary's worship experience, both here in person and online. Kim and I are taking a few days to rest and refresh, and we could never do it if we didn't have such an amazing team that just continues to serve at every location. We're starting a summer series called Pastor, I've Got a Question. You know, we can all come up with a lot of reasons for not wanting to ask hard questions. We don't want to appear vulnerable or confused. We're even fearful of appearing stupid, but what if asking questions is one of the ways we grow in grace? Our faith is stretched by asking questions. Our questions don't scare God. Religion refuses to allow questions, but the gospel frees you to ask questions. In fact, Jesus himself said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. My personal grace walk began with a question. I once heard a well-meaning pastor say that in his many years as a believer, he had never questioned his faith. Maybe you can identify with him. If that's the case, that's wonderful, but maybe you're like me and you've struggled with questions at some point. I have. So what does all this mean? Are questions a sin? How do you deal with those questions? God's word doesn't say that it's wrong for you to have questions. However, it's what you do with them that really counts. Honestly, as a pastor, I receive a lot of questions, so I thought we'd spend the summer answering some of them from a gospel perspective. I can't wait to be back with you in a few days to answer some of your questions, but I've got a great teaching team at every location ready to go. So let's jump right into week one of Pastor, I've Got a Question. Starting with today's question, are you ready? Pastor, can we go too far with this grace thing? Here we go. Good question, Pastor Ben. Can we take a moment and just celebrate our lead pastors? I'm so excited that they got an opportunity to just get away, take a break. Myself and the rest of the staff, we have watched them navigate us and lead us through some very interesting times. And if there's any couple that deserves a break, it's our pastors. Can we celebrate them one more time? Send them a text message. Let them know you love them. And we're going to continue to journey through this series. I'm excited about it because I feel honored to answer some questions that I know that many have been asking. Father, today, we simply declare, demonstrate the gospel. As we answer these questions, let hearts open. Let minds be awakened to the power and the grace and the finished work of the cross. Relieve us from unnecessary pressure. Relieve us from false doctrines and beliefs that have held us back for so long. Let every question inspire us to go deeper into the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrate if you receive that prayer today. I'm so excited to share the word. So here's the question, Pastor, can we go too far with this grace thing? What a question. But let me open it up by saying this. People who are afraid of the gospel have sometimes suggested that you can go too far with grace. They're worried about what might happen if we put a heavy amount of attention on what Jesus has done for you and as you versus what you got to continue to do in your own power, in your own strength. They're afraid. 
that if we go too far, quote unquote, then maybe it will promote some things that will be unpleasant in the body of Christ. I believe in my heart that those who are afraid need to understand that they're so focused on performing for Christ that they're not enjoying their position in Christ. I believe that those who are afraid of grace, they're so concerned about if, then, that they're not celebrating and enjoying since therefore. They're so concerned about the rules of an old covenant that they're not walking in the blessings of the new and greater covenant. My question to you is what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on what is finished through Christ? Or are you going to focus on rules and regulations? I know what I just did. I just answered a question with a question. I'm breaking all the rules today. Here's why. We have to remember that grace involves God expressing his unconditional love and favor towards us independent of what we ever do or don't do. Grace is literally the personified, is really, it's Jesus personified. Grace is Jesus and Jesus is grace so to say that you can go too far with grace is like saying you can go too far with Jesus how crazy is that it simply isn't possible consider this when we look at God we always applaud and recognize his infinite wisdom his holiness his love towards us can we go too far with any of those things? No one ever acts about that. But yet we have the nerves to act that if we can go too far with grace, if we don't question his goodness, if we don't question his holiness, if we don't question his love, then why in the world are we questioning the component that he expressed his love towards us? Why is grace such a huge issue amongst religious people? Some people are afraid again. That if you teach the pure grace of God, people might encourage, get encouraged to go out and sin. That kind of fear shows a lack of clear understanding about what grace does in a person's life. I'm here to tell you that grace has never encouraged me to sin. In fact, grace has helped me to open my eyes to what Christ has done and it motivates me to do what I'm supposed to do. And, by the, and for the record, I never needed a license to sin. I was really good at it without permission. Trust me. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know. But think about this. Grace actually causes us to come alive in love and faith to God. It allows us to get a greater desire to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. Grace does not encourage sin. Grace encourages me celebrating of the sin that he removed and completely paid for. Grace opens my eyes to what he has already done. Grace opens up a door for me to step into this new life that he has for me. Grace Grace inspires me to receive not just one gift, but every gift that he has given me. Grace gives me permission to take the seat at the table and live the life that he has caused me to live. I'm so excited to preach this message today. Can you tell? <laughs> grace empowers us. We can't abuse grace. Stop thinking that. 
Stop living your life as if you can abuse grace. Grace cannot be abused. Here's what we're afraid of. If we really talk about it and sit down and have a discussion, we're afraid that we can abuse the freedoms and the liberties that grace brings. Grace cannot be abused, my friend. Now, what we can do is that we can personally pervert grace in our minds to the point that it hind- that we hinder its purpose and its power that it should have in our hearts. But my friends, we cannot abuse it. So when people ask me, aren't you afraid that by teaching the grace of God so strongly, you talk about grace with such passion, you're so confident at Calvary, you got gospel this and gospel that, everything you do got gospel attached to it. Why are you so bold about the gospel? Here it is, because we're no longer afraid of the message of grace and what it produces. You know why? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what? Power and love and a sound mind. Well, how do you get power? Through grace. How do you get love? Through grace. How do you walk with a sound mind? It's the message of the gospel of grace. I'm here to tell you that the gospel is the only non-schizophrenic message in the world. Your sound mind comes when you start believing and walking in the grace that God has released on your behalf. Can you go too far with grace. Look how Paul explained it in Romans 5, 17. He says, for if by the transgressions of one man, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, the abundance of grace, the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will what? They will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Why do we focus so much on Adam when we ought to be setting our heart on Jesus? Why do we focus so much on what Adam brought into the world when we ought to be focusing on what Jesus released in the world? Think about this. Paul says if we're going to reign in life, there needs to be an abundance of grace. If we're going to reign in life, there needs to be an abundance of of grace that abundance has provided the gift of righteousness so that when we understand the results that we reign in life we surely need to understand and it doesn't sound like it's encouraging us to sin it sounds to me like the message of grace is encouraging us to reign in life to take dominion to walk in authority over sin to walk in authority beyond sin to walk in authority not even considering the effects of it why because we know that we already have victory over it why be afraid of something that you already have victory over. I'm here to announce that you can step outside of sin consciousness right now, today, during this message, and you can walk in the freedom of abundance of grace. It's your choice. Think about it. The word abundance in this verse suggests an overflow. 
It doesn't mean filling something to the top. It means to fill it beyond the top so that it spills over. So how is Paul communicating grace to us? He's saying that grace, we ought to be so filled with it that it spills over into every other relationship in our lives. There's no shortage of grace. Stop being stingy with grace. Stop putting grace on a budget. Let it overflow. Receive the abundance of it because when you flow in the power of grace, then others around you say to themselves, that's same grace that is operating and empowering you. I want that grace. Grace will never be released the way it ought to if we're believers walking on a budget. We're supposed to flow in it. We're supposed to believe in it. We're supposed to speak it. We're supposed to demonstrate it. We're supposed to declare it. We ought to be flowing in the abundance of grace, not the budget of grace. Stop trying to budget the grace of God. Paul didn't budget grace. Every time he opened his mouth, it was something connected to the grace of God in his messages. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. First of all, we talked about being afraid. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. What does that mean? I'm not afraid of what you think about me when I preach this message, because this message of grace, it is the power of God that leads to salvation. It is grace can never release too much of it. God's grace motivated Paul to press on deeper in the knowledge and intimacy with Christ. Philippians 3 tells us, he says, I press towards the mark for the goal, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, grace motivates me. It doesn't encourage me to sin. It motivates me to keep moving forward in my revelation and intimacy with God. So can you go too far with grace? No way. Absolutely not. Most people haven't gone far enough. There's not a person on this earth that can say, I got enough grace. I got this thing down pat. I'm good. No. Every single one of us ought to be motivated to move further, growing in grace and applying the message and the power of grace to our lives. Can we go too far with grace? Not a chance. You know why? We need an abundance of grace in this legalistic barrenness in the modern church today. We need an abundance of grace to let people know that they're free. Last week we talked about freedom. We sang freedom. We celebrated freedom. We declared freedom. Let me tell you something. You will never live free without the message of God's grace. It is the power of this message that allows you to walk in the freedom that Christ has given you. You want to be free? Then receive the abundance of grace. You want to walk in victory? You want to reign in life? Then stop pushing the pause button on grace and let the overflow, the abundance of grace, reign and rule in your life. Can you go too far with grace? When you jump into your, this river of grace, head first and experience the abundance that you know leads to victory in Christ, you'll never make that confession. The more grace you receive and the more your eyes open up to the revelation of grace, the more you understand why you need an abundance of it. So we're asking this question for a reason. Some months ago, we were just sitting down, talking, chilling at the five. You know, that's our worship experience for young families, young adults. And we were just talking, chilling, hanging out, and we just simply started asking some questions. 
I asked them, what are some questions that you guys are hearing the most in regards to grace? The answer to those questions provided the outline for these next couple of weeks. We've decided to put it into two groups. I just want you to know that next week I've got reinforcement coming. Pastor Brad is going to be here to share the word with us. He's coming from Wallace, North Carolina. So do not miss next week. We got some harder questions, some more difficult ways that we're going to have to answer these. And I got a little help coming from Calvary Wallace. So let's thank God for Pastor Brad coming to be with us next week. It's going to be fun. So we talked about these questions. So in terms of this subject of grace, here's the first frequently asked question that we want to talk about today. Number one, flow with me, follow me with your notes. These are some very important questions. Does this mean God no longer disciplines us? You talk about grace so much, preacher. Does God discipline us again? Does he, does he still Tell us what to do. Does God still punish us? Uh, uh, I never heard you preach about hell, so what happens to the believer who's not doing everything that they're supposed to do? And I want to answer it like this. I have no doubt in my mind that the Father, our good Father, will yank us off the curve of a road to prevent us from getting hit by a Mack truck. There's no doubt in my mind that God would not Snatch me out of harm's way. That's what good fathers do, right? However, his method of discipline never involves, follow me, his, his measure or his method of discipline never involves making me sick, putting me through a tragedy, or bringing me into poverty. Never. So when I face these things, I want to correct some thoughts, some theories, some theology, some mindsets that we may have developed over the years. Your good father has other ways of snatching you out of harm's way than to make you sick, than to put you in a poverty situation, or to put you in a tragedy. You ought to be thanking God and relieving yourself from that unnecessary pressure in Jesus' name. That's good news right there. His work in our lives is always redemptive. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He always provides a way out. He always works things out for our good. There's always consequences for my crazy, ridiculous choices. But it is wrong for me to say that these consequences are God's discipline. That is not the case. When you look in Hebrews, you get a powerful definition of discipline. Here's what it is. God's discipline is his training for our future, not his punishment of our past. It is erroneous for us to say that God is punishing us. This would constitute double jeopardy. Jesus has already been punished in our place. True discipline is what we call course correction. So when you receive discipline from your good father, all he is doing is correcting your course. All he is doing is redirecting you from harm that he sees in your past. Punish, uh, in your path, punishment deals with the past, but correction deals with your future. And if you have a translation that does not clearly describe this, then you need to get another language and you need to really dig deeper into this message of grace so that you can get the proper heart of our good father. Number two, second question. Didn't Jesus say be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? Didn't he say be holy 
as he is holy. I'm watching all the sanctified folk. They ready for this one right here. For those of us who grew up in holiness churches. Jesus' purpose on the earth was to raise the standard of the law back to its perfection. Back to where it reveals his holy nature, but also back to where it causes man to tr stop trusting himself for salvation. In the old covenant, salvation came through the sacrificial system. This system couldn't remove people's sins. It only covered them with a promissory note pointing forward to when the blood of the Lamb of God would be shed and pay for this outstanding debt. But in the new covenant, somebody thank God for the new covenant because the new covenant is different. Jesus' blood doesn't cover our sin. It completely removes it. John, John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10, 10, he says, by the way, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. How long? Once and for all. Holiness is in what you do for him, but what he has done for us. That is the answer to the question. Holiness is not what I do, what I did. It's what he did. It's what he completed. He made me holy. This is what it means. He set me apart when he finished his work on the cross. And when I believed, it put me in a new position. It set a new standard. It elevated me to a new realm. I'm now seated in heavenly places. I'm now next to the one who is holy. And better yet, the Holy One is now on the inside of me. Wow. By faith, I believe that when Jesus died, he made me holy. See, holiness is not what you do and how you perform and how you act. Remember, we opened up talking about that. Holiness is what you receive, the finished work of what Christ has already done on your behalf. If you believe you have been made holy, let's go to the third question. We'll talk about it more. Grace is God's part. But what about our part? What about our part? What do we do? Everybody wants to know what do we do. Everybody wants to know what they have to do. It's human nature. I'm not here to fault you for that mindset. I'm here to let you know that when you step into a new and greater covenant, it is no longer about what you do, but it is the focus and we put our attention on what he has done. Look at Ephesians 4.24 because here's the scripture that grace balancers, and I got a lot of friends of mine, they're grace balancers. They want to balance grace with truth as if they're two separate entities. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. They make it seem as if holiness is something external that you get through your good works and your achievements and your accomplishments now become the prized possession of, or the result or the reward of doing good. And you get this prized robe that you put on because of your efforts. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. What they failed to add is that what happened, ED, when you 
you were born again, you became a new self. You were made holy. You became righteous. When you believed and received the finished work of Christ, that is the moment that you became holy. So when you emphasize who believers already are in the spirit, you are completely in your spirit, 100% like Christ. You got everything that he has. You are fully loaded. And here's what we do with the, in the grace message. We tell you who you already are in the spirit, even if your soul and your life doesn't match up yet, we're going to keep speaking it until your soul catch up to it. Why do you need an abundance of grace? Because grace reminds you of who you already are in the spirit. It takes the tension off of what's on the way and it celebrates what has already been done today. I want you to stop trying to become holy and celebrate the fact that you've been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The finished work on the cross. I'm moving quick here. Let's go to number four. I got to finish today. I've got to get through these questions today. Our part is to simply receive. Our part is to simply say thank you. Our part is to simply rejoice. Our part is to simply walk in the newness of life that we have in Jesus. See, the Bible gives us descriptions that will make you think that you need to fabricate holiness. I'm here to tell you that when you look at scripture through an old covenant lens, it will always seem like there's something to do to be made holy. But when you look at it through the lens of the new covenant, you start realizing that there's some amazing things that you already have in Christ. Number four, moving quick. If everything has been done, then what's the need for spiritual growth? See, in the spirit, you're complete, like I mentioned. You can't get any more of Jesus on the inside of you. However, check this out. By tuning or turning on the valve of your mind, by redirecting your focus on the finished work of Christ, by understanding the abundance of grace that is offered to you, you can get more of him out of you and through you. You can tap into what has already been done and allow it to flow naturally. A branch can't be any more of a branch than it already is, but it can grow and bear more fruit. A baby is as fully human as it will ever be, but it still must what? Mature. On your new nature, you are growing to trust him more and more. Your mind is being renewed and redirected every day. Renewed and reminded of what? What's already been done. Your mind is being renewed. It's taking focus off of the old and putting it on the new. It's being renewed. How? It's taking focus off of what you must do and it's celebrating what Christ has already done. It's taking focus off of the old covenant, if then, and it's putting your mind on since therefore. You're taking your mind off of rules and responsibilities and you're putting them on what the finished work allows you to walk in and be blessed and simply receive the abundance of his grace that's good news right there y'all I'm moving quick here's the next one most people think that in order to bring God glory you have to do something here's the next one what about my most important job in life bringing glory to God we all want to bring glory to God my friend, believers, Calvary, we don't bring glory to God 
by what we do. We bring glory to God because of who we are. You bring glory to God, not by what you do, but because of what Jesus has made you. You are in right standing with God. You are a son in whom he is well pleased. And this is what brings glory to the Father. One theologian says it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Today, before we dismiss, I want to invite you to open up your hearts towards something. This last and final question has to do with current events, how we manage life here on this earth. Real quick, I want you to think about all that we do here at Calvary. I want you to think about some of the things that we've done over the years to help people who are hurting, to help people who are wounded, to put ourselves in position to see God show up in amazing ways in us and through us. Think about this last question for me. You go on and on about this gospel of grace, but what about being more relevant to real issues people are facing in this world? That question came up. We got to talk about this. Because when you look at life through the wrong lens, the lens of punishment and discipline and an angry God, you develop the thought pattern that all we're facing in this world, on this earth, is because God is punishing us and God is angry with us. Can I bring some gospel correction today? Before we transition, God's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. Are you perfect? You're far from it. But every imperfection, Jesus has already dealt with it on the cross. So when Jesus finished his work, even though you're not perfect yet in the spirit you are, but you're working on it in every other area of your life, in spite of your imperfections, the Father still says, I love you and I'm pleased with you, and we're going to work this thing out together. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am always here with you. You are not my stepchild. You are my son. You are one with me. I love you so much that I chose to be one with you. We are in perfect union. I'm not mad at you. I'm not punishing you. I'm not using your mistakes against you. No, I'm a good father. I'm protecting you. I'm, hey, hey, I'm holding you right now. I'm giving you an opportunity to make some powerful life-changing decisions. So when it comes to this question of how does the gospel relate to modern issues, I'm here to tell you that what you see in this earth is not a God who's angry with you. What you see is the result of the heart of man. Look at your neighbor. Say it with authority. We did this. It's not God punishing us. It's us. When I look at my life, anything that's out of order, I cannot blame it on God correcting me and disciplining me. You know what it is? It is the result of a stupid decision. Oh my God. I'm here to help you escape the religious trap of thinking that you're in trouble with God. How do you pray when you think you're in trouble with God? How do you approach a good father when you think he's mad at you? 
How do you deal with life in all the situations and circumstances of life when you feel that God is out to get you? How do you approach your loving God who is prepared and who has supplied and who has set things aside for your advancement? How do you receive from a father whom you think is angry with you? Why do we preach grace? Because grace reminds you that God ain't mad at you. He loves you dearly. Why do we preach grace? Because we're counteracting all of the religious garbage that we hear every single day in our social media, on certain platforms. Every week we're hearing about the anger of God instead of us realizing that he dealt with anger on the cross and his righteous judgment over us is that he loves us. That was the final judgment. He's in love with you. He cares for you. He, he, he wants relationship with you. Don't run from your good father because of the garbage you've heard. Today, I simply want us to receive this fullness of grace. Let's grow in grace together. And when it comes to issues of this earth, and when it comes to things that we see, I want you to know something. Grace teaches us this, that you have been saved by grace, but you have also been empowered by grace. So even though the mistakes and the heart of man leads to trouble in the earth, we have power and dominion in us to change the mistakes and the decisions that our leaders have made because we've got the ultimate authority. We've got the king of kings on the inside of us and we can change everything that we see that is negative. We can supersede it with the grace and the power and the flow of the spirit. I'm here to tell you that everything you're upset with in this land, you can change it with your voice. You can change it by grace. You can change it by tapping into your identity and who you are in Christ, you can shift the atmosphere. You can change trouble. You can change crazy, awkward decisions that are not working in your favor when you receive this grace. You can change it through generosity. You don't like what you see, elevate it. Walk in the heart of your good Father. We're making an impact in the earth. Why? Because grace, this gospel of grace has taught us how powerful we are in Christ. We're not running from trouble. You know what people of grace do? We run to trouble. Because we know all of heaven is on the inside of us. Lift your hands real quick. I want to make a simple declaration before Pastor Chris comes out. Father, I declare that we're empowered by grace. We're motivated by grace. We're inspired by grace. We are filled with grace. We have the abundance of grace. And we're moving forward. We're moving forward in the things of God. We're releasing heaven that you place in us, in this earth. Things are shifting. Things are changing because we're deciding to walk in grace and to grow in grace. Today, we have come up with the answer. We can never, ever go too far with grace. So what we do is we pray that you enlighten our hearts to receive the fullness of grace and to walk in empowering grace in Jesus' name. Celebrate together. Let's pray. Stay right up here, Pastor Kareem. Are you grateful for the word today? Just stay right here. We're going to take communion together. I just wanted to take a moment. Pastor Kareem, you said something interesting I want to come back to. You said we don't live under the if-then but the since therefore. You see, one of them is a declaration of faith. If then, there is no faith. Because if I obey, then I'm blessed. There's no faith in that. If I, 
everybody operates if, if I do good I get a raise if I behave I get rewards right but the since therefore is the new covenant of faith it's saying since I am blessed therefore I give it's a since God has already given me therefore I give do you see how that shifts and works differently in fact there's a story that I just wanted to draw your attention to uh, and if I could have our hosts get into place uh, you can give a couple ways by the way here at Calvary you can give digitally uh, which a lot of y'all have done that thank you for doing that and through the summer setting up reoccurring giving helps us to the budget but you could also uh, give with an envelope there in front of you but I really want you to see this 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 picture of what it looks like with the sins therefore it's funny because you can look at scripture through two different lenses you can look at it through the law lens which I did for years it was the if then or you could read a story and go oh I see the since therefore in this and this is one of those stories that for years I looked at it as a law story because it's found in first Kings 17 8 this is the story of the widow of Zarephath where the prophet was led there during a three and a half year famine and he says something so interesting to her he's like what are you doing woman she says I'm collecting sticks so that I can make a fire and I can make a cake so me and my son can eat and then die and then die right and he says this to her it was so interesting and I remember thinking what is this about Lord he says first make for me first make for me and then the oil and the flour will not run out see I looked at it as a condition okay God we got to move first no that's not the picture that we're looking at here the picture is that the prophet was a type of Christ the provision was not in the jar of oil or the flower the provision was in the man of God with the Word of God standing there y'all hearing me I already have the provision sitting here talking to me I don't see lack anymore that's why we're saying what do you see today I don't see lack I see the provider dwelling in me richly are you co-seated or not Christ are you co-seated with Christ or not church like because if you are the provision is already there there is no lack so I say what do you see so from that place now we give therefore because I have because Christ finished the work and deposited me everything I need I lack nothing therefore I can be generous amen church first Corinthians 2 14 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned what you just heard today can only be discerned spiritually it ain't gonna make sense to your natural man in the same way that if you're looking with natural eyes that story did not make sense where a widow was gonna give her last bit to somebody else when her son was starving doesn't make sense unless you look at the eyes of faith and see I see the provider sitting in front of me type of Christ amen father today as we hold in our hand our gifts our offering father we simply recognize that you are our source who has already richly blessed me I lack nothing and I simply now get to participate 
I simply get to take a step of faith to move this gospel forward into all the world. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Thank you so much for your continued generosity. There's some amazing things in front of us. Let's stay committed in this area so that we can see them come to pass in the earth. Let's stand together. Go ahead and gather your elements. If you're taking communion with us at home, go ahead and prepare. This is an important time for us. It's a reminder. Reminds us of his grace. This alone could answer the question. Can you go too far with grace? Well, if you could, we couldn't do what we're about to do right now. We're about to take our privilege of being sons and daughters, and we're about to go to the Lord's table and be reminded of what he completed for us. Since therefore, since Christ died, he took our place on the cross. Therefore, we can take a place, a seat, at the table since therefore since he bore my sickness on the cross therefore I can celebrate my healing in Jesus name since he took all of the shame my shame with that crown that they placed on his head the crown of thorns I can walk in full confidence of my sonship and my relationship with him knowing that I am fully accepted, I'm totally righteous, and I am in perfect union with the Father. I can celebrate this exchange because of what Christ has completed and finished. Today, we're simply reminding each other of who we are in Christ. We're sons, and he is well pleased. Let's partake together. Can you go too far with grace? <laughs> you know the symbol, the little wafer that represents a body that had no limitations. He loves you so much. He went as far as he can go to take your pain and your shame. 
because of the grace of God. Can we go too far with grace? You know what this represents right here? This represents the blood of Jesus. The blood that makes you whole, complete. The blood that doesn't cover your sin, it eradicated your sin. The DNA of Christ is now in you. You have all power and authority of heaven residing on the inside of you because of the blood of Jesus. Why did he shed his blood? Because of grace. Can you go too far with grace? Let's partake together. Well, of course the answer is no. So let's walk it out today. Let's walk in the authority of his empowering grace today. In Jesus' name. Calvary, we love you. You are dismissed. If you're new and you want to get some information, we'll meet you at the Welcome Center. And I want to invite you to come out to the five. It's for young people, young families, but it's for all of us. Come hang out and enjoy that special vibe tonight at five. Bless you. We encourage you to live generously and give generously. You can do that right there, online on our app by searching and downloading Calvary Church CC. You can give on our website or you can text to give by texting Calvary IRV followed by the amount to 77977. And I encourage you to set up your recurring giving. Calvary, let's remain consistent and faithful in the face of inconsistency.